you know, it's a time for us to prepare the way to make straight the paths in our own lives, those times that we've come up short and we have sinned, and it's time for us to receive that, that grace of forgiveness. One of the neatest gifts that I got last year, and I would never have thought of this, was somebody made a donation in my name to the American Cancer Society. You know, you knew that guys you know, would struggle through that time. So it was an opportunity for the older guys to kind of walk with these guys, you know, shepherd them like, hey, it's gonna be all right. Like, you've got this. Keep working hard if you need help, you know, reach out. It's just an opportunity for you to kind of gel together. I didn't realize how important the fourth year guys were when I was in first year. Yeah. And then to be able to pay that back when you got in the fourth year. Where I believe Elvis sung it, you know, Blue Christmas. Sure. For some people, it's it's more it's more tears than it is laughter, and I and I think we have to acknowledge that. But I think the other thing too is that Jesus waits for us at the manger, and we bring him both the good and the and the sorrowful. Is your host. Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM and I'll be your host. Thanks for joining us. The church is in the first week of Advent with one candle lit for those who took our advice and lit their Advent wreaths last week to energize their Advent season. The posse will be previewing the Gospel of Matthew for the second Sunday of Advent. After we finish our discussion of Matthew, we will be taking the priests down memory lane and talk about their seminary days. I'd like to introduce the priests sitting around the table tonight. We have uh, Father Marty. Good evening, everybody. And Father Mike. Hi there. And Father James. Hello, everyone. I'm glad you're all here. Uh, since we're recording two shows tonight, uh, Father Dennis is still on uh, out in uh, Mississippi on uh, at a wedding. I think he just wanted to stay where it was warmer, so he took another week off. That's, <laughs> that, that's a possibility, too. Well, anyway, we're glad you're here. Um, Father Marty, in news and notes tonight, I have the uh, Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th. That is correct. Um, it is the paternal feast day of the United States of America. It is a holy day of obligation where we celebrate that Mary was conceived without sin. Um, there's a misconception, no pun intended, um, out there <laughs> that uh, this is actually the conception of Jesus but it's the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Yeah, that'd be pretty quick. That would be. It'd be like Eight two and a half 25th. weeks. <laughs> that'd be the shortest pregnancy ever for Mary. I know. So, but there is that conception out there. No pun intended. So, <laughs> but it was, it was actually that Mary was conceived without. That is correct. Right. My home parish is named Immaculate Conception. Mm -hmm. my, my parish from when I was a kid was Immaculate Conception. Was it really? Yeah. I've Did never... you grow up in Colfax too? No. I've never been assigned to an Immaculate Conception. Hmm. Really? That's yeah. intriguing. Have you? No, I never have. I've said Mass in Immaculate Conception in Cedar Rapids, but I've never been assigned there. Yeah. Oh. yeah I went to you celebrated Mass before in Immaculate Conception. In Colfax, I was the yeah. CEO 
of Colfax, Immaculate Conception really? Colfax, for three and a half years. Christmas, Easter, and occasionally. Did you know Father James then? <laughs> um, no, but he tells about a Christmas mass that he was at that I had. Oh. So. Well, maybe he can tell us about that later on in the show. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> got a lot of memories. <laughs> so how, um, how is your Advent going so far? So far, so good. Can't complain? Mm. Can't complain. This is the best one I've ever made. So far. I'm just thankful we haven't burned down the church when we blessed the Advent wreaths. We lit the right candle. The pink candle did not get lit this week. It's a good week. We've got it off to a good start. Amen. Amen. Very good. I figure that every Advent that you're here to celebrate is a good one. It's a good one. You betcha. <laughs> just like a birthday. All right. Very good. Uh, Father Marty, I believe you have our opening prayer for tonight. I do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And God, our Father, in the second week of Advent, we are introduced to the great character, John the Baptist. May we truly take his words to heart, to repent of our sins, and to turn our lives back to the Lord. May we heed his words through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Marty. Very welcome. All right, tonight the posse will discuss Matthew's gospel for the second Sunday of Advent, and that's chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In this reading, John the Baptist emerges in the desert, warning all to make straight his paths and produce good fruit, or we will burn in unquenchable fire. Father Mike, you have our reading? I do. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I and I am not worthy to carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father Mike. So this is an interesting gospel. Does this reading build on the prophecy candle from last week? 
it seems that they that these readings would have been more appropriate last week than this week. Well, if I remember right from last week's episode, I think we even heard someone sing. <laughs> you know, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Right. I should have waited until this week. You jumped the gun. I jumped the gun, but I've always been ahead of myself. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's interesting that you that you mentioned that because, you know, all, all every year during Advent, on the second Sunday of Advent, we're introduced to the character that's going to wear camel hair, a leather belt, and eat um, wild locust and honey. No, locust and wild honey. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's right. Locust and wild honey. Yeah, the honey is wild. Yes, the locusts are not. They're tame. Yeah, you don't have any tame honey. This stuff's wild. Well, I mean, let's be honest here. You don't have any tame locusts. <laughs> But that was my next question is why why the details about John's clothes, his belt and what he was eating? I mean it that seems pretty detailed for Matthew's Cliff Notes version of his gospels. Well usually Mark's more the Cliff Notes version. Oh Mark's the yeah, Mark Mark's the we gotta get Jesus moving from to Jerusalem because we gotta kill him in a year. Whereas like Matthew and the other ones, it's it's a three year process. So there's time to kind of take the more scenic and we get more of the stories. So I have now taken Father Mike's lead and jumped a whole year. <laughs> you have. Congratulations. <laughs> that is impressive. I'll give you that. So so what, what is the, the reason for the detail? Is he bringing up the, the prophecies about John the Baptist? Or is it a way for them to recognize him? Or wh- Well, here's what the footnote says. The clothing of John recalls the austere dress of the prophet Elijah. The expectation of the return of Elijah from heaven to prepare Israel for the final manifestation of God's kingdom was widespread, and according to Matthew, this expectation was fulfilled in the Baptist ministry. Interesting. Oh. Yes. Okay. I knew there had to be a reason for it, because there are no unnecessary words in the gospel. I don't remember who told me that, but I think it was one of the Bible studies that I went to. And it's interesting, too, that, um, and Father James, you can refresh my memory, but when we were in the Holy Land, um, a lot of the paintings or pictures of John the Baptist depict him with orange hair. Do you remember that? Red hair? I don't remember that, but hey. there, were a lot of, there were a lot of things in the Holy Land. I don't really recall what color hair he had. Um, well, it was that fire that he had, you know, in, in preparing people for the Lord. So, so John the Baptist was a redhead, according to the paintings in the whole. Some of them, yeah. Some of them, it's regular, you know, brown, black hair, or whatever. But some of them had him in in that red, orange, that fire. Hmm. So interesting. Hmm. Well, did the Jews of the time recognize John as the prophet Isaiah foretold in the in the scriptures in the Torah? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if they did or not. We read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to be baptized. It, it, would that have been because of the John the Baptist showing up in camel hair and belt and eating locusts and wild honey? Under you know they would understand the scriptures a lot better, and and would would that have tipped them off that he was the prophet or was a prophet? I always had the attitude or the idea that they were out there to spy on him more than anything else. The Pharisees, and apparently. He had a little of that idea too, but his reaction to their presence, you know, who told you to come here to be, 
to be saved, you know. And you brood of vipers, he doesn't mince any words with them. Uh, but I'm sure there were some communities of the Jews that recognized him because he gathered large crowds. And, you know, if he was not recognized at all, there, he wouldn't have anybody there. So You just think of, like, the Jordan River, like, would be such an important place for the Jewish people, like, you know. Sure. You know, that's where, you know, they were able to cross from the, the desert into the land of milk and honey, the promised land. You know, that's where Nahum, the Syrian, you know, was healed, cured of his leprosy there that we find in Second Kings chapter 5. You know, it takes Elijah up to heaven in a fiery chariot at the Jordan River. Didn't John the Baptist appear where Elijah was taken up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it says in the Bible anyway. And you also got to think, like, the, the desert was an important place for the Jews because... That's ultimately where they become God's chosen people. You know, we also see in the desert, well, obviously, kind of like a kid, you know, are we there yet? Are we there? Oh, come on, Moses, are we there yet? You know, <laughs> they start to you know, go astray. And it's that opportunity for them to come back, you know, because we see that, you know, in the prophet Isaiah, you know, because he foretells that God will lead his people back to the desert to renew his covenant with them. God would lovingly draw his sinful people back to him like a husband wooing an unfaithful wife. The spousal reunion between the Lord and Israel would take place in the desert. So I will allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak to her heart. I will make a covenant for them on that day. I will espouse you to me forever. We find that in Hosea chapter 2. So we kind of see that idea of, you know, the desert and the Jordan River being an important place and how people begin to flock out. You know, kind of like Father Philip said, you know, you get some that are kind of going out there like, what is this guy up to? Like, is he going to cause a ruckus for us? Like, how do we need to, you know, kind of handle them accordingly, you know? I'm not saying the Jewish leaders at the time were like the mafia, but, you know, they're kind of looking at him kind of like, well, who is this guy? You know, is he going to rock the boat? What do we need to do with him to kind of so, make sure? Yeah, so that's why it upset John so much when the Pharisees and Sadducees came out, was that they weren't really sincere and weren't really looking to get baptized. They were just... Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too. I, you know, it's that you know that what you said a little bit earlier, Tony, that that all words are important. Um, but you know, at that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him. Which kind of tells you that there was nobody in Judea, Jerusalem, or the by the Jordan region around the Jordan because they were all going out there to him. <laughs> the message was appealing. Oh yeah, it's almost like calling them back to the Exodus, like. They're leaving Egypt, like they cross through, you know, the Red Sea. You know, here the the people, you know, they're kind of leaving their old ways, hopefully, mm-hmm. in Jerusalem and Judea, coming to the river, you know, to be baptized, you know, and beginning to turn their lives around. And they went out to him with great expectation, too. We can tell that from the way that it's reported. They wouldn't go out in such great numbers if they didn't expect to, you know, you can't. Oh, yeah. Uh, our Lord refers to this later on, and he says, who did you come out in the desert to see? And uh, they obviously, in this instance, came out to see somebody who was truly, in their mind, a prophet. So So it it also mentions in there, having Abraham as their father is is a reference to the Jews, the chosen people. Why is he warning them that this is no longer a defense? Is being the chosen people no longer working for them? Or what? what is, what's going on there? I say just like, you know, you think about Jeremiah, like 
yeah, here's you have the Israelites, the chosen people, but guess what? They start to turn to these false idols, and the temple gets sacked. You know, temple, you know, Ark of the Covenant kind of thing. You know, yeah, they're still God's chosen people, but who do they focus on? Yeah. You know, they're not they're not going to lose. I wouldn't. I would say they're not going to lose being God's chosen people, but at the same time, like you got to kind of you know fulfill your end of the covenant. So does John the Baptist appear after the temple has been? Destroyed and the people dispersed, or is no, it before? Before, yeah. So it's before then, mm-hmm. because the temple doesn't get sacked the second time until seventy A.D. when the Romans come in, and so this would be thirty, thirty A.D. Yeah, forty years before that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's interesting too that you know Matthew and Mark, John for for a little bit in the prologue. Um, you know, kind of, you know, John the Baptist just kind of shows up. Luke puts him more in a historical setting, which is which is very interesting, I find as well, too. You know, meaning that, uh, you know, like, we know that in Luke that he's the cousin of Jesus. Okay. There's no reference of that in Matthew, Mark, or John. So he, Luke puts him in a more historical setting. What are some of the ways we can bear good fruit in today's world? especially during Advent. I'd say like a big thing is like an opportunity to invite others, you know, to come to mass with you. Maybe, you know, maybe you've got loved ones, maybe you got friends that are, you know, kind of stop coming to mass, you know, an opportunity to, to invite them to come to mass with you. You know, maybe it's saying like, would you like to go to mass? And they like, I'll pick you up. Maybe we can do dinner afterwards or breakfast, an opportunity for them to, to come out, you know, to come and see Christ and have that encounter with him at the altar at Mass. I think, I think deep in your family prayer life would be another way of doing that. You know, using using the symbols of Advent as a way to encourage everybody in the family to, to see the true meaning of the season. I like what you said last week when you said that Jesus is the reason for the season. I think that's so important. And Advent is an opportunity for us to remember that and we can do it. In so many different ways by, uh, you know, really pay, paying attention to what all of these readings mean and uh, all of the different events of Advent, uh, what their significance is. And I, and I think, too, you know, um, get the Bible out. Tell the story of the birth of Jesus. Um, you know, I know it's it's kind of hard that we get caught up, you know, in, in Luke 1 with the visitation, the annunciation, you know, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of John the Baptist. But take the time to read the Christmas story. And there's there's a lot of books out there, um, you know, kids' books, too, that you can use. You know, tell, tell the kids the story. And, um, you know, one of my favorites is called We Were There, Too. And it's a story of, uh, you know, because when you look at the manger scene, well, what do you usually see? Some cows, donkeys, sheep, you know. But this is a story about, you know, there was a there was a snake, a scorpion, a um a mouse, you know, um, you know, these creatures that were like, Ugh, you know, but that they were there too. The things that Noah should have left behind. Yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that and the other thing too, a little bit more personal, is that you know, we do offer, you know, a couple more times for reconciliation. You know, we have communal reconciliation, you know, on the 17th. You know, it's a time for us to prepare the way to make straight the paths in our own lives. Those times that we've come up short, 
and we have sinned, and it's time for us to receive that that grace of forgiveness. And I think that's so very, very important. Very important. And doing that as a family, I think, is makes it even more meaningful. Again, uh, when you're putting up the Christmas tree, kind of talk a little bit about some of the things that we said last week about the meaning of these various things that we're doing. And then especially with the, the manger scene, you know, do that with your children and explain each of the items, what they mean, who they are, why they're there. Uh, that's a very, very meaningful thing. It becomes even more so over the years. And I don't know, maybe this is corny, but, you know, Elf on the Shelf has gotten a lot of publicity in the last three or four or five years. You know, I read an idea where instead of doing Elf on a Shelf, move Jesus and Joseph around. Sure. You know, that they're making that journey to the manger. You mean Mary and Joseph? What, who did I say? Jesus? Jesus and Joseph. Heresy. No, Mary and Joseph. Let the lightning strike out of that side of the table. <laughs> I'm on the north. Um, <laughs> but no, you know, you know, just that bring the bring the crib in, you know, and 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 that. So I just think there's a lot of traditions that we can do the the produce fruit during Advent. Hey, I don't remember who it was, but uh, I used to work with somebody that they used to take the three wise men and start them out in the living room. And then each day they'd move them a little closer and closer and closer. And then by the time uh, Epiphany got there, the wise men had shown up at the, and that was a way to involve the children. And the other thing too, I think that would be really neat is because I think this is the first time that we've done this since COVID. We got the giving trees back up again. Good. And you know what? You can take the ornament to, to buy a gift for a family in need. And then once the uh, the ornaments are gone, you know, we're asking people to bring back, you know, gloves, mittens, hats. And I think we're adding this year um, socks and underwear too, because we're finding that a lot of the our kids, you know, they might not have the money to buy basic needs. So that's something we can do as well too. One of my favorites for that, somebody was telling this, where it was Adeline and uh, Garrett Brockway that their mom and dad said, you know, go up and grab a tag. And Adeline, who's now a freshman in high school, was very little. And she wanted to take two. And so the story goes, Garrett looked back at his mom and dad and they're like, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) You were were talking about a personal observation. What about people like me, where our, our, our kids are 30 and 34, and they're in different towns now, it's harder for Sandy and I to celebrate Christmas because you don't have the kids in the house with you anymore. So how do you, what, what would you say to people like me who are empty nesters? How do we approach Advent and the setting up the tree and the nativity scene and all that kind of stuff? I'd say the same, you know, I would, you know, get, you know, um, I get like the little blue book or the word among us, you know, Magnificat, you know, has different prayers and they're a little bit more directed towards adults. Um, you might not be able to do the things to teach the kids, but you can always, we can always grow. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting new insights in the Christmas and Advent and Epiphany and, and everything. And, and, and I think too, you know, the other thing is, is that um, one of the things that I think would be neat is to give a gift in your children's name, you know, maybe to a charity or something. One of the neatest gifts that I got last year, and I would never have thought of this, was somebody made a donation um, in my name to the American Cancer Society. 
to, oh. to further research on breast cancer. I would never have thought of that, mm-hmm. you know, but that, that gift touched my heart. So, hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about the little the little blue book you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question for Tony. Like, what did you and Sandy do before you had children? How did you guys celebrate Advent and Christmas that way? Well, about the same as we do now. It was, well, that was back in in one of my lulls in the church, too. Yeah. Because um, I didn't, I after college, um, you know, I dropped out of the church while I was in college and after college and we got married in the church, but then we never really went back until, until Brett was born. And once Brett was born, then we had him baptized and started going to church again. So, um, the, I don't know that Advent and Christmas and those kind of things were, we were probably a lot more caught up in the commercial part of it in those days than, uh, than we are now so and you know i think the other thing too is is go out of your way during these days of advent to show you know sandy you know maybe a little bit more of god's love you know just something out of the blue that you can do go get her some you know some ice cream or something you know (laughs) i hear she makes the best chocolate chip cookies yes she does but you don't want to ask her for those because then that's not showing love right because that's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the um but we're we're going to have to uh, we're we're going to have to revisit how we do advent and and what we do for advent. We have been getting out the advent wreath and lighting candles and saying the prayers and praying around the advent wreath mm-hmm. this last couple of years, which has been made advent much more special. Sure. Do your family get together during the holidays? Um, not as much not as we, as much not as much as we to. used to. That's the way it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can always too, and this sounds like an afterthought, but uh, volunteering in all of these uh, projects that are around during the season in helping the poor and food kitchens and all the rest of that, it's remarkable how much how much good that does for you individually as well as for the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think that's a very important thing that sometimes is overlooked. Maybe it's overemphasized, and so everybody thinks, well, somebody else is doing that. But just just the effect that it has on you personally in understanding the real meaning of giving, the, the attitude of gratitude, as I like to say a lot, uh, it really makes a difference. And I am glad to hear that the giving trees are back, because that's one thing we really enjoyed was mm-hmm. going and picking a couple of the ornaments off and... Uh, and we always look for the, you know, the kids who need pants and shirts and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so it's fun to go out and shop for kids again since, you know, we don't have little kids anymore. Right. So that's kind of something fun we can do at Christmas time. Without uh, Without a doubt. Um, all right. Is there anything else you want to throw in on the gospel? Did we miss anything or... Just know that if you want to get to Bethlehem, you got to go through John the Baptist. Make straight those paths. Amen. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion on Sunday's Gospel. Uh, If you're just joining us, we're talking with Father Marty, Father Mike, and Father James. Father Dennis is still out of town. And we just finished getting their perspective on this week's Gospel. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We're happy you're listening. Uh, Now we're going to move on to uh, a little special treat for the second week of Advent 
and uh, we are going to talk to the priests about their experiences uh, while they were in seminary. We're going to take a little trip down memory lane here. So I would say, like, just because we're going to kind of talk about, like, you know, how did the seminary celebrate Advent? And so, like, for me, like, I started off at Conception Seminary College in Northwest Missouri, you know, with some uh, Benedictine Abbey. Benedictines are serious about Advent. <laughs> there ain't no way there's no commercialized Christmas at that place only in the printery house and those printed Christmas cards but on the seminary Christmas was like almost forbidden word it's like you weren't allowed to play any Christmas music any of that stuff so they took it very seriously and so they, you, you mean know, you mean commercial Christmas music or like you couldn't listen to any Christmas music that was a no-no you would be shunned so, so Silent Night was really silent. Right? <laughs> it was definitely Silent Night. And so, you know, then on the 17th, so in the, the evening of the 17th, you would come and, you know, the Advent wreath, it was a huge outdoor Advent wreath that they had placed around one of the statues. And on that night, it was special because that's when they would turn the Christmas lights on around the Advent wreath itself. Which is always exciting. And then we could finally begin to listen to Christmas music. They figured, all right, you made it this far. We'll let you p- party for eight days left, you know. And by that point, you know, you got maybe four or five more days left before you head home for Christmas. And it was just an interesting, you know, an opportunity. Because, you know, when you get to a major seminary like Mundelein, let's just say we completely kind of jumped over ahead. <laughs> oftentimes, we focused more on, on kind of Christmas and stuff. Sure. For for me, at, at I went to college seminary at Ambrose, mm-hmm. and of course the feast of Saint Ambrose falls right dab in the middle of Advent, and so we had the big Saint feast day of Saint Ambrose Mass usually on a Sunday. Um, the bishop would be there for it and everything, and um, so it was a little bit more festive, you know, um, for us at Ambrose because we decorate our rooms, Christmas parties, and and things like that. So. A little bit different than the Benedictine experience. (laughs) (laughs) Ours was about halfway in the middle of between both of you because I'm talking about the major seminary because I went to St. Ambrose too a few generations before Father Marty. But uh, uh, Mount St. Bernard Seminary in Dubuque, which was the provincial seminary at the time, we the first time that we'd get to go home from being there since the summer was a Christmas vacation. So we looked forward to Christmas uh, not only because it was the end of the Advent season, but because it, we could get out of the place and we could go home for the first time. <laughs> so was, uh, the gates finally opened. The huh? gates finally opened. So. <laughs> but uh, I can remember uh, there there were different approaches by the members of the faculty. We had one faculty member that did not believe that there should be any Christmas trees or anything like that in the seminary. He believed that Christmas trees were for family, and we weren't going to have a family, a regular sense family. And so uh, he was always funny that way. He'd give a talk, oh, about midway through the Advent season about how it wasn't appropriate, even as priests in our rectories, to have Christmas trees. Uh-oh. And I can remember uh, uh, it seemed like there, there was a difference of opinion among the priests there, because when we, <laughs> when we would get done with the listening to that sermon, we'd go back to our rooms and there was a priest who lived on the same floor, and he would make sure that he had his door open so we could all see his newly decorated Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't know that priests had disagreements, but obviously they did in those days. So, 
Well, talking about, you teed this up for me pretty good, St. Mount Bernard's. Um, Father Doyle sent me a homily that he gave, and it's going to take me a little bit because I want to read this. I just thought it was interesting. Um, part of me has trouble to believe that in 1958 this was allowed, but apparently it was. But so he says, 1958, first year of the major seminary in Mount St. Bernard's Dubuque. So the first year class was always given the duty of preparing the seminary chapel for Advent. Okay. okay? And that's pretty simple, as he said, because we would be home for Christmas. So it was a bare bones type of decor. Okay. So they came up with the idea of using pine cones. Okay. That's where I said 1950. I'm having a hard time with this, but there were plentiful from the trees around the lake on the property. We found some large boards, cover them with violet cloth and fasten pine cones in the shape of letters on them. One decoration for each side of the altar. The letters vertically spelled out the words Vene, um, a Latin word that means come in the imperative come Lord Jesus, a message of, of Advent. So he moves on. It's the uh, Monday before they're able to go out of the seminary too. Hallelujah. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, moral theology class. In the middle of the class, one of our classmates named John stood up and made some strange noises. And we tried the shushing, but he continued, and then he collapsed, fell to the floor, and died of a massive heart attack. It was a depressing couple of days before Christmas. They um, took his body away, then brought it back in his casket later in the evening to be taken home um, to his hometown the next morning. And then we'd have a special mass for, for him ourselves. But in the meantime, we had an all-night vigil for him in the chapel. And we asked the rector if we should take down our Vene signs, and he said, no, it's still Advent. So he said, all night long, we took turns on our knees praying with those two signs lit on the wall behind the casket. So then he tells about the homily the rector gave. Um, he repeated the Advent message about the prophecies being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus, the prophecies that were so much a part of those people's lives, waiting for the promise of God to redeem them to be fulfilled. Come, Lord Jesus. The rector went on. There's another prophecy that has been fulfilled in our lives this week. He said to look carefully at the signs around us. Two words, vene, vene, the imperative, come, Lord Jesus, but he went on. There's another meaning to the same word, the past perfect tense, I have come. He said to never forget that Vene has been fulfilled in our classmate and will be in us sometime in the future. Mm, beautiful. Hmm. So just kind of another story from, from Sam. I also go back to Mundelein because I think you were on Three Center. Three Boulevard. Three Boulevard, that's right. Best Center. cam in the seminary. So our cam, I was two west. Ooh, We're out in the, the suburbs. You're in the but, suburbs, yeah. pal. But um, our cam was divided kind of in two because you had the steps right there in the middle. So there were guys living on one side of the cam and guys on the other. Well, the guys on the north side of the cam, where I did not live, they were very much in the Christmas spirit. So they decorated everything. Right next to the Deacon Chapel? Yeah. And then our side of the cam, away from the Deacon Chapel, we were known as the Advent part. We did not decorate. We kept the lights off in the darkness. <laughs> so, I, so I don't know if it was this way when you were in the seminary, but like... So on Three Boulevard, you know, it's a super long, you know, hallway, fantastic cam, you know, great place. But on Three North, they like to kind of do Christmas kind of 
classy. Mm. So what they would do is literally, it was like a garage sale. If they could find any inflatable, any lights, <laughs> anything, they would put it up in that hallway. And in order to get through that hallway, you had to walk very carefully to get around the big fat Santa Claus wanting to give you a hug <laughs> right here. I'm, I'm surprised the fire marshal hadn't shut them down yet. <laughs> they had stuff everywhere. It's quite a shocking change from the Benedictines. Huh? Oh, well, then even like in the rec or the refectory, so kind of the cafeteria where you where you eat at, even at Mundelein, they'd put up a giant tree in there and... We'd Christmas have, music playing. Oh, Christmas music would play it. And then, you know, we had a big Christmas concert. We're wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. You know, this is 10, 15, no, probably like 15, 20, 30 days before Christmas. Oh We're goodness. wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. <laughs> the complete opposite. Benedictus would have been shocked. Oh, they would have croaked, I think. I had a classmate tell me once at Mundelein that we should just give in and um, not even have Advent. We should just have Christmas for like 35 days. <laughs> it would be nice if we could do that after Christmas. You know, yeah. That's the way the church wants us to do it. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, uh, we've had so much of it beforehand, we'd be sick of it probably. That's the, that's the interesting part. Is like, you know, for at the seminary, like guys, you know, most of them are, you know, getting back there early to mid-January and, you know, the Christmas season's kind of Sure. Slowly starting to come to it, coming down, and it's that idea of like, all right, what's well, you know, we're going to celebrate Christmas now. Like, we can't celebrate with you guys, you know, because everybody's going to leave and get out of here. So, we just jump right, right forward to Christmas. You might have Advent for a week or a week, week and a half, and then it's all right. That's good enough for us. Let's get moving. <laughs> yep, I remember too. At, um, we did uh, in our first year field formation was to go to different parishes for for a weekend. And in January, um, I went to a Polish um, parish. Oh, yeah. And, they and oh, no, they, they celebrate Christmas through February the 2nd. They do. All, they, all these poinsettias are up, the <laughs> cribs up, the trees are up, like on the 20th of January. And the, and the other interesting thing, too, I thought was interesting was going to a Polish mass where the only two words I understand the whole mass were Mundelein Seminary. <laughs> not, even, not even amen. I got the amen. I know three words: amen and Mundelein Seminary. So <laughs> that's beautiful. The other thing I remember doing too is that we would there would be like three or four of us. We drive around town Mundelein right. about every Sunday night looking at Christmas lights. We never did that. Mm. We talked about doing it for a diocesan night once, and we never did. Because mm. then, like during my time, like there was some. Fancy like outdoor display that you could pay some money for, and yeah. we talked about going up there as like a cam. So I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of people are going like, "What is he talking about?" Like a cam. So like a cam in the seminary is like a section of flooring, you know, where guys live. Okay. Um, Two West is the best. You're out in the suburbs. You don't even get the mail delivered to you. <laughs> you got to come into the main theology building to get your mail. So that's why the West is out. <laughs> You don't want to live in the West, but it's just an opportunity for you to, you know, live and you're able to bond with guys so that, you know, there might be anywhere from on like a boulevard, you might have up to 16 guys, you know, in your cam with you. It's an opportunity for you to kind of journey together in a kind of a small group along with a priest who would live, you know, on your, on the same floor with you. So you'd gather, you know, for us, when I was in the seminary, it was every Monday night, we'd gather together, pray evening prayer together, and we'd have dinner together. There's an opportunity for us to kind of see, like, all right, how are guys kind of handling it? Because 
everybody knew the fall semester of second theology was the worst because you had the three-headed monster of classes, oh. very difficult classes. You might have Christology, you might have a like sexuality, like a moral theology class with Dr. Barrett, great teacher, but she's going to make sure you know that material. There's no wiggle room on that. Um, and then there was also a history class and, you know, you knew the guys you would struggle through that time. So it was an opportunity for the older guys to kind of, you know, kind of walk with these guys, you know, shepherd them like, Hey, it's going to be all right. Like you've got this, you know, keep working hard. If you need help, you know, reach out. It's just an opportunity for you to kind of gel together. I didn't realize how important the fourth year guys were when I was in first year. Yeah. And then to be able to pay that back when you got in the fourth year. From what perspective? Just, just fourth year guys who have been through everything. You know, um, and they're getting ready for their own ordination and everything. But still, they took the time. Hey, you doing okay? We know this is an adjustment. You know, yada, yada. Because usually fourth-year guys didn't have much to do with the first-year guys. Yeah. <laughs> kind of take you under their wing. and Yeah. Uh, how, how, do you, um, how do you deal with people who have a loss around the holidays? My dad died the 26th of December in 2015. And he was in hospice for the advent oh, during that. before that year or before he died. Um, and that that's always kind of changed ever since then. It's kind of changed my advent and my, uh, not really Christmas, but um, you always have that in the back of your mind. Sure. I think you have to just recognize the, the, the reality there, first of all, not try to hide from it or try to act as if it's not there. My dad died the day before my birthday, and we opened his casket on my birthday. So that, those memories uh, are always combined. You know, every birthday I always think of my dad in his casket. So uh, instead of running away from that or acting like that isn't true, I think you just have to confront that in view of the Paschal Mystery. You know, what is it that we believe about life and death and so forth? And, uh, it's not a way of trying to smudge it over, but... I've always said, you know, what a what a wonderful way to to go into the kingdom is to go in when they're celebrating in heaven. I know they're always celebrating in heaven, but to go in during the Christmas season when when here on earth we're we're concentrating on on uh, you know the fact of Jesus becoming man and all the rest of that, uh, Son of God becoming the, the man. Uh, I just think realizing the reality of of what's happening there and not letting it overcome you with grief. Mm -hmm. Well, well, and the good the good part about it was that I knew uh, I knew how solid he was in his faith, That's and true. I and I knew he'd had the last rites, and so I I knew spiritually he was taken care of, and that made it easier. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I got to talk to him. We did a video conference with him um, on Christmas. One of the nurses in the hospice went in and took a took an iPad in, and I was able to talk to him. On Christmas Day, wonderful, yeah. And then I was actually lecturing at Mass uh, when he died, uh, and that's a whole that's a whole story that's hard to believe too. But anyway, it it did uh, it did change it did change Christmas for me in Advent. Um, so we had that happen in our family last year. You know, this will be the we're coming up on my mom's first anniversary on the nineteenth of uh, December. And, and I just remember, you know, being in the room after mom died and we were waiting and, and things like that. And, um, you know, somebody mentioned Christmas and my sister right away, we're not doing it this year. 
<laughs> and we're like, yeah, do you want mom and dad to come back and haunt us or what? Because, <laughs> you know, well, no, mom and dad love Christmas. Sure. And, and the way that I see it is, um, you know, we don't forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, one of my favorite prayers, you know, it's both for Thanksgiving and Christmas is that, you know, there, there could be an empty chair or two at the table this year. And I, and I think that you, you, you acknowledge that, but then you remember the good times, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, one of the things the year before my dad died, the big joke on Christmas was, you know, cause dad always made the gravy, okay. you know, who's going to, who's going to make the gravy. Mm-hmm. Well, we went from homemade gravy to get the stuff out of the jars. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, okay. Um, but, 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 you know, I think we have to acknowledge that with people, too, that um, for some people, and, and I think that's where, uh, where I believe Elvis sung it, you know, Blue Christmas. Mm-hmm. Sure. For some people, it's, it's, more, it's more tears than it is laughter, and I, and I think we have to acknowledge that. But I think the other thing, too, is that Jesus waits for us at the manger, and we bring him both the good and the, and the sorrowful, you know, to him there, so... I'll let you know after the 19th of December this year and Christmas this year, how that all. <laughs> Last year, I think it was a little, because we were still planning funeral. Yeah. Because we couldn't do it the week, you know, before Christmas. Because mm-hmm. it was before Sunday of Advent. Yep. Because you celebrated the 1030 Mass at Paul's. You want to tell the story or you want me to? Well, you can tell the story. And I just think this is, I think this is just the way God works, is, uh, um, so my mom died right around five o'clock. And so once the nurse came in and verified and I prayed the prayers after death and very powerful, as, as you know, and, um, I texted father James, um, you know, that mom had, had, had died and, um, he did not put out enough hosts that Sunday night mass. We had to go back to the sacristy and when he's back in the sacristy, his phone, you know, beeps at him. And it's the message that, hey, mom died. And so he was able to invite the congregation that night to pray for my mom and family. And that meant a lot as well, too. So, Hmm. beautiful. I've kind of derailed the seminary stories. You did. uh, That's all right. No worries. Uh, Oh, yeah. Kind of going back to like kind of where Father Mario was at. Like, just, you know, the difference of like, you know, as as a guy coming in at first theology, like for me, like, had done two years, you know, conception. Now you're coming into Mundelein, you know, conception. You're probably at a hundred, you know, so guys you're going into Mundelein. There's probably 220, 215 guys. And like, this is a pretty good sized campus. And, you know, and just having those four theology guys that are able to kind of, you know, kind of walk with you. Like for me, it was a very awkward situation and that the diocese had sent me to Mundelein. The idea was we wanted to kind of keep guys together, seminarians together, but you know, some things that happened in the seminary that was up there ended up leaving the seminary. So here I am kind of as a lone wolf from the Diocese of Davenport up, you know, up in Mundelein. And so one of the great opportunities was, you know, the guys from the Archdiocese of Dubuque kind of welcomed me in. So on Thursday nights up there, you have diocesan night. So you pray as a diocese. Well, for me, it was a diocese of one. <laughs> which made it a little awkward when you got the, the Christmas card photo with the rector, and it's just me and Father Carchi. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you start to see just, you know, the leadership of the fourth year guys, and then once you you get to that fourth year, you know, it kind of brings to mind like, all right, how do I help these guys through this journey? Because you know, fourth theology, you've been through it. You know kind of those spots where things are gonna get rough. 
you know, and for us, it was always that month of February. It's cold, it's dark. You're in, you know, you're doing your tests. Guys are going to start getting worn down. Usually, you know, frustrations happen. And then also during the time, you know, that February time frame was, is during my time, third theology guys were over in the Holy Land. So there you take out 30 to 40 guys. Second theology guys are back on internship. Take out another 30 to 40 guys. So now the community has shrunk almost by half-ish, little, you know, a little less than half. And it's a whole different dynamic now. Because before, you know, you kind of had guys kind of in your age, you know, grade level, ballpark, you know, grade above or grade below. Now here you are, where guess what, that refactory, there's a lot more empty space. And it's that opportunity, you know, as a fourth theology guy to, to be able to, you know, invite some of these younger guys in to sit and, you know, get to know their story, get to talk to them, kind of stuff like that. How did you pick Mundelein? Or, or how do you, how do you pick a seminary? How do you decide where to go? So, so I'll talk about like from my experience as a seminary and then Father Mario can talk about it from the vocation standpoint. So conception, uh, conception, they kind of take you on a senior trip, but the rector, the former rector wouldn't, didn't want to tell you where we were going. Everybody knew you always went to Kendrick Glennon seminary in St. Louis and you always went up to Mundelein and then some churches in Chicago. And so we went and visited Kenrick, you know, as a class, you know, we joined them for, for prayer, for mass, came to a couple classes with some of the guys and then went up to Mundelein. For me, like my initial first gut impression was like, I kind of liked, you know, Kenrick. It was a nice kind of small, everything's connected. I had a lot of classmates from Conception that were going to go to Kenrick. Kenrick is in St. Louis. Yep. And Mundelein is in Chicago. Yep. North side of Chicago. Okay. I'm just clarifying that. Yeah, you bet. And so I kind of was like leaning towards like, well, Kendrick would be kind of fun. I'm with, you know, my classmates, like this would be really nice. Um, so when Father Tom Hennon, the vocation director, kind of asked me, he's like, he's like so where, what are you kind of leaning towards? You know, like, so he, he asked me, he's like, well, what do you think about the North American College in Rome? And I was like, no. I was like, this boy ain't leaving the country. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a homebody. Like, I like staying kind of close to home. He's like, all right, you know, take that one out. And then we talked about, you know, the other three, whether it be Kenrick whether it be Mudline or whether it be, you know, the Twin Cities up in St. Paul. And, you know, it was just kind of that, you know, it was that opportunity to just kind of see, like, all right, you know. Because at the time, we had guys up in the Twin Cities. We had guys up on the north side of Chicago from Mudline. And Father Tom was kind of interested, you know, what is Kenrick all about, you know, because they kind of gone through a transition. So I had placed them at Kenrick, Mudline, and then St. Paul. Well, you know, then we kind of had more discussion on, all right, you know, it's really great to have that fraternity with another diocesan seminarian because guess what? There's God willing you might be working with him. Sure. You know, back here in the diocese, you have that relationship. You're able to have that bond. Mm-hmm. Um, the things obviously didn't play out the way that we initially thought, and but hey, here we are. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that I have a nephew in Kenrick right now. Yeah, really? He's in his second year, and he came to me a few years ago when he was deciding whether to be a priest or not, and. And he said, Father Mike, I want to ask you a question. And I thought, okay. He said, would you, would you make sure that when I'm ordained a priest in about nine years, <laughs> he said, would you make sure you're still alive? <laughs> and I said, well, I really, I may act differently, but I really am not in control of that. <laughs> so, but he said, I just want you to be at my first mass. So, but uh, I'm still trying to get to Kendrick to see him. So we're going to do that one of these days. Uh, 
For me, um, Pickens Seminary was was actually, um, so I was at Ambrose, and one night the bishop came and celebrated Mass. We had a formal dinner, and then he met with each of the fourth-year guys and said, where do you want to go? And I had visited St. Paul and uh, Mundelein, and I got sick when I was up at St. Paul. So I figured that was a sign from God that I needed to go to <laughs> I do remember asking the bishop, because I said, if you want somebody over at the North American College in Rome, you know, I would I would go if you want me to. And he goes, do you want to go there? And I said, no. And he goes, okay, that's out. <laughs> when I was vocation director, I was basically asking the guy, where are you guys, where are you looking? Mm-hmm. Um, I go back longer than, than these two guys. And that question about asking the guys themselves where they want to go, that was, that was not even part of the equation. The bishop told us where he was going to send us, regardless of what we wanted ourselves. So, so that's changed quite a bit for the better, I'm sure. But uh, we went to St. Ambrose, and then after that, the provincial seminary was very active at that time on St. Bernard's in Dubuque, and it was just assumed that, uh, that we would go. And so we did, and uh, I can't say I enjoyed it as much in Dubuque as I did in Davenport, but I got through, so. Two of my favorite stories, being at Mundelein, Probably shouldn't say <laughs> but there was um, there was a rumor that uh, out on the soccer field and baseball field that a bull had gotten loose from a local farm and was on the baseball field and the soccer field. <laughs> so some night about eleven o'clock, me and uh, another my one of my friends decided to drive around the soccer field and baseball field with our bright lights on. <laughs> the Mundelein security Uh-oh. was out there pretty quick. We we're looking for the bull. We told him, but that didn't go over too. <laughs> And then the second one was when we went down to Columbus, Ohio for the seminary and basketball tournament, and we ended up winning. And so when we got back on Sunday night, we drove on the uh, sidewalks, honking our horns and and had the trophies outside the window. We got pulled over by security that night as well. The sidewalks were big. You could drive on them. Oh, no, no, no. Those sidewalks at Mundelein are huge. So you mean the uh, a seminarian from the Diocese of Davenport has the option to attend seminary in Rome? If they're in conjunction with the diocese. Yeah. So, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's up to the bishop. Like, mm-hmm. so usually, most times, there's going to be that discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, like, you know, where are you thinking? And the diocese is going to kind of have an idea in their head kind of where they're thinking. Because each seminary is going to have their different pros and cons. Like yeah. a great advantage with Mudline is is the seminary and internship second theology, where you spend the majority of that spring semester in second theology back here in the diocese in a parish. You're getting to learn about the priests and some of their quirks. You're seeing what parish life really looks like in Lent. Because guess what? At summertime, the parish looks completely different than it does, you know, in the fall or in the spring or in the winter. And there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages to going to Rome. The advantage of seeing the whole universal church in operation because you're right there in the backyard of the Pope and the Vatican itself. Uh, The disadvantage, like Father James just mentioned a little bit or referred to, was the fact that you're, you're, you're really kind of cut off from the way things are back home. And so you're away from the activity of your own local diocese for four full years, except for maybe vacation periods and all of that. So another advantage is that you get to learn another culture when you're in Italy. And the food is fantastic. So uh, 
They're hmm. just at their advantage. I think another thing, at least in my day, uh, when they told us where we were going to go, uh, uh, I think each diocese had had so many spots at the North American, or, or and it was whether or not those places were open. I don't know if that's changed or not. But. Interesting. All right. Well, very good. That's uh, we're gonna wrap it up here. We're running out of time, so That's just barely scratching the surface, man. Yeah, yeah. you were worried. Whew. Well, maybe we'll have to do this again. You betcha. Gotcha. Sure. Okay, and Father James, you have our closing blessing tonight. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty and merciful God, may no may no earthly undertaking hinder those who set out in haste to meet your Son, but may our learning of heavenly wisdom gain us admittance to His company who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father James. You bet. Thanks for having us, Tony. Well, that does it for this week's show on the taking the priests on a trip down memory lane. Uh, two weeks of Advent down and two to go. Pastor's perspective for next week, we'll hopefully be talking with Father Dennis about his time here in Burlington and his adventures in the United States uh, as he prepares to uh, end his time here and head back to Tanzania. So uh, that should be an interesting conversation. We will be staying in Matthew's Gospel, and we will be coming up on Gaudete Sunday. So uh, get those rose vestments out, guys. Until next week, believe in the Gospel, the good news of God's saving love. God has a plan for our lives and bringing us to himself. But we have to play our part in that salvation. If you're not actively practicing your Catholic faith, we invite you to join us for Mass. The Advent season is the perfect time to focus on Christ in your life. Don't get lost in the hullabaloo of the, of the ramp up to Christmas. Keep Christ in Christmas. I'd like to thank the priest tonight, Father Mike. Thank, thank you. you. Father Marty. Thank, thank you. you. Father James. Thanks thank for having you. us, Tony. All right. I'd like to thank the posse for sharing their insights and their trip down memory lane. I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning us in. Please join us again next week when we talk to Father Dennis about his experiences in the United States. In the meantime, mark your calendars with the Mass times and try to make it to some extra Masses during Advent. Of course, keep it right here on KCDM for more content you can trust. KCDM, listen faithfully. Thanks for tuning in and good night. KCDM would like to let everyone know that if you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor's Perspective, the shows are posted on our website, kcdmradio.org, and you can hear Pastor's Perspective anytime you have time to listen to them. Drop into the website and give us a listen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 